Welcome to God's Planning, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic, and I am joined today by uh, Father Patrick Briscoe. Say hi, Father Patrick. Hi, Father Jacob. You see mm. what I did there? I, That's you, great. You thought that little joke was coming, but it didn't. It didn't. No, I'm I'm disappointed for sure. But um, yeah, it, rather than um, saying that I'm in D.C. and Father Patrick is in Providence, which wouldn't be true because both of us are currently like in our parents' basements <laughs> recording this episode. We're true millennials now. <laughs> yeah. We're living off of mom and dad and we have a podcast in their basement. Yep, in the basement. So it's great. Um, separated, separate because, you know, we have no friends. So we just sit in our basements and talk to each other online. So uh, it's great. Now, I'm, I'm visiting my family up in Connecticut and Father Patrick, I won't disclose your location it's a secret location so um you can see the 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 wood paneled bunker if you tune in on on youtube so we don't want to we don't want to release that but uh there's a prepper closet that way a what closet prepper closet it's filled with the filled with canned goods you know just in case yeah naturally (laughs) that's great that's beautiful um well we hope everybody i guess we're we'll be a couple weeks after the new year but hope everybody had a good new year and has kind of return to work. I guess people don't really return to work in COVID tide, but gone back to work, started work or school again, or starting soon safely and, and, and all of those sorts of things. So um, as we dive into the, to the new year, one of the things that we've been, um, I guess, talking about a little bit on our end of things is, is the role of, um, of, of the liturgy in, in our life, specifically the role of, of the mass and of the Dominican rite or the Dominican form of the mass. So we thought that it might be interesting to, to talk about, give sort of the Dominican, uh, for what it's worth, the Dominican perspective on, on the mass, particularly with respect to um, the various forms of the mass between the Novus Ordo or the, the rite that perhaps most of us are familiar with, uh, attending Sunday Mass or otherwise, and then what is known as the Tridentine Rite or the traditional Latin Mass or the TLM for short. Um, for us, the there for us Dominicans, we wouldn't celebrate the Tridentine Rite. So in our world, we would talk about the Dominican Rite. Um, we'll explain that in just a few minutes. But the idea here is, is not to... Um, it's not to sort of create a, a disparity between the different uses of of the um, of the Roman rite of the Roman mass, but just the opposite to explore for a few minutes on on this episode um, the relationship between the two uh, between the extraordinary form or the Tridentine rite and the, the Novus Ordo. So, Father Patrick, perhaps by way of starting in, why why these um, you know, why these two, where do these two forms of the mass come from? What are we even talking about here? Maybe give us a little kind of intro on that for those who might not be as familiar. Yeah, I think the, the this is the question, right? Um, the first question is, well, who cares? Uh, sure. You know, if you, if you, if you just go to Sunday mass, um, you can say, that's what I've experienced. And that that's where the, the average Catholic is, right? You just say that this is, this is what I know. Um, and taking the mass as the gift that it really is and as the participation in one's local parish community for the wonderful thing that it is um, a lot of people might not think further um, but when we talk about forms of the mass and what what's kind of undergirding that is the catholic view that the order of our worship actually matters um, so there's this ancient saying lex orandi lex credendi that the order of worship is the order of belief 
and that the form of the Catholic Mass is itself important. Um, and this is why when you go to Sunday Mass, it's structured because the way that it's organized and the way that it's structured is telling you things about what Catholics believe. Now, sometimes those symbols are very rich about what the Mass is saying, and we don't always understand all of them. But, uh, but the point there is that it's organized and that the church um, has given us a, a gift in the Mass and that that gift is so broad that it can extend and include different forms and that those different forms have particular emphases. Right. And, and a super simple example of what Father Patrick is talking about, the form and the structure of why why that's important is even just the way if you've ever gone to, I haven't been to many myself, but if you've ever gone to a Protestant service or have been a Protestant and, and have attended those for a long time or and, and then compared that to a Catholic mass, um, just the, the very sort of physical way in which we move as Catholics, you know, the sitting, the kneeling, the standing, there's, there's this whole sort of incorporation of, of what the person is doing, even just as the lady in the pews, what we're doing. And, and that's not accidental. Uh, the, the idea of liturgical worship and the idea of the structure and the form of the mass as the height of our, as the height of our spiritual life is that it is made or it's, it exists in such a way to unite us to Christ most easily and most directly, but also most fully in everything that we are. So if we begin to think of, of the mass, whether it's the Novus Ordo or a different form or the Tridentine Rite or the Dominican Rite as, as the, the sort of spiritual wellspring through which or by which I'm connected to Christ, then the reason for the structure or we can at least begin to appreciate that there is a reason for the structure in the form of the mass. And as Father Patrick started, you know, why, who cares? Um, well, now we, you know, hopefully um, we can begin to care because it's it's through this liturgical worship that, that we believe that we're united most directly to Christ. So let's then... Um, perhaps give a brief kind of history because we'll, we'll talk about what the distinction between the traditional Latin mass and the Novus Ordo or the Novus Ordo is the new form of the mass. That's what Novus Ordo means in Latin. And that's what, as we've already mentioned, we're probably more readily familiar with the mass that we have in our parishes most regularly. Um, so before we can talk about the comparison between the two and what they are and where I, how one came from the other, perhaps we can start by talking about, well, what are where do the traditional or the older forms of, of the mass come from? Um, Father, I guess perhaps even an interesting kind of tidbit or a, a tangential kind of comment might be about our Dominican rite. So maybe, which is older than the Tridentine rite. So maybe let's start with the older um, and then we can move to the, to the newer and then the new. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great point. So the Dominican rite um, is the way that Dominican friars we're celebrating the mass in a certain age. So the Dominican Rite began in the 13th century um, by, it was um, compiled by Blessed Humbert of Romans. Um, and uh, what, it, what it did was it provided an, a certain way for all of the Dominican friars throughout the order. And think even in the 13th century, the order was international. And so friars had different customs um, in those local regions. So the Dominican Rite was a structured way that every friar throughout the world would be celebrating the liturgy. So that way a friar could travel to a different part of the world and feel at home in every Dominican convent because that way the, the liturgy would work the same way in all of the houses of the order. So to do that, though, Blessed Humbert had to compose, um, to compose this liturgy, and it was taken from different aspects of different other rites. So again, in the 13th century, 
the way that the church prayed the mass was very local. And here I'm painting with a, a broad brush. I'm not a liturgical historian, nor do I even, you know, frankly, have a particular interest in that. Um, but but we can say that that the local churches had very different ways of celebrating mass. The way that mass was celebrated in France, um, I mean, modern France didn't even exist in the 13th century. The way that the mass was celebrated in different regions in what is now modern day France it was very different from the way the Italian city states um, celebrated the mass. Uh, so the Dominican Rite took um, certain of those customs, again, it seems that the Dominican Rite is principally a Gallic or a French Rite, um, took those customs and proposed something that could be a uniform expression for friars in the church. Now, that work of Blessed Humbert of Romans is essentially what the Council of Trent did, but not just for the Dominican Order. The Council of Trent did this work of kind of unifying and reordering and organizing the liturgy of the church, uh, but for the universal church. So, um, yeah, that's just a place that we can start with that conversation. Right. No, that's exactly right. And I think the important thing or the the, the helpful point or principle from the Dominican um, unification of liturgical worship is that it, it, it wasn't a sort of ideological kind of thing um, that Blessed Humbert and other Dominicans were doing at the time, but uh, uh, but it was something to unify the order. So as Father Patrick was saying, you know, when friars were traveling preaching, it would be it would become immensely confusing to go from one region to the next trying to celebrate mass with wholly different customs and different ways of serving. And, you know, so the idea was because of the apostolic nature of the order to put it all together so that, like Father Patrick said, friars could travel and celebrate the mass um, in the same way in all of our communities. When you fast forward a few centuries to the Reformation and then the the Catholic Church's response to the to the Reformation in the Council of Trent, um, Pope Pius V tried to do the same thing, um, and, and he did do the same thing. Uh, during the sort of craziness that was the Reformation, he saw the importance, the Council, and then Pius V saw the importance of unifying the Church, um, of unifying the Church's worship so as to stand strong against the, the Protestant Reformation. And part of this was done in the liturgical reform. And from the Council of Trent. This is where we get the traditional Latin mass as we understand it today, as we call it today, or what's often called the Tridentine mass, because it's from Trent, um, the, where the council was held. And that that form of the mass procured from, from that time, from the time of Pope Pius V, um, from the time of the Reformation in the, I, what would it have been the the 1570s, is that when Pope Pius died? So from like the early 16th century until the middle of the 20th century, until the Second Vatican Council. Um, so that would have been the mass, that would have the form of the mass. Most often, if you want to imagine in your mind, the priest would be facing the same way as the people, as we call ad orientum. Some people say with his back towards the people, but it's really facing the same way with the people. Um, the mass would have been in Latin, these sorts of things, the old form of the mass, um, until the middle of the 20th century with the Second Vatican Council um, that introduced the Novus Ordo or the new order or the new form of of the Mass. Um, so perhaps we can we can say a few words about about those changes, and then um, we can uh, we can look at and compare the two. Because the interesting thing is that with the introduction of the Novus Ordo of the new form in the 1960s, it did not eliminate the use of the old form either. So I think that incorporation is is really important to to get. So Father, tell us a bit about where this Novus Ordo, this new form, where and why it comes about. Right. I think this is very important to see that in the early 20th century, there was a movement of renewal of the liturgy that was happening um, decades before the Second Vatican Council began. In fact, 
when um, uh, Dom Geringer founded, or Geringer, founded Salem, refounded Salem, um, the Benedictine monastery in France, part of the work of that particular monastery was to renew the liturgy. And that was happening already in the 19th century. Now, what he meant um, by uh, renewing the liturgy was that they were looking to uh, to be as attentive, particularly in their chant, to the way that uh, to the way that things would have been sung by medieval Benedictines. So that was a that means a kind of simplification. So taking out all of the developments from um, the Tridentine era, for example, um, the all of the all the kind of uh, things that the Baroque uh, the Baroque um, era would have added to the liturgy, and they're simplifying things back to the back to the Middle Ages and and proposing a kind of purity of chant. But they did this uh, in the liturgy too, um, in, in other things. So it wasn't just about music. It was, um, they were thinking through how all of the liturgy was celebrated, how the church prayed, what it meant, what it meant to pray as a Benedictine. Okay, so this is sort of the start of what became known as the liturgical movement, which blossomed from the end of the 19th century into the early 20th century. So some fruits of the liturgical movement were uh, things like a dialogue mass. So uh, after, the, after the reforms of the, uh, the Council of Trent, the way that most lay Catholics attended mass was, was to be there, to be present, to be praying. Um, oftentimes you, you would be praying a devotional book or you could be following along in a missal. Um, but there wasn't participation the way that we understand participation in the mass um, by the saying of responses, if, for example. Okay, so a person would would unite their prayers to God. They would be interiorly disposed and united to the sacrifice of the mass in that way. But they wouldn't they wouldn't be saying the prayers of the mass. Well, the liturgical movement um, in 1922, which is interesting to think how uh, how early that was, the liturgical movement in 1922 got permission in certain religious houses and in apostolates, especially for young people, to begin to have dialogue masses. So what that meant was not that mass would be in the vernacular or in the common language, but that people would say the prayers, for example, of the server as well, that the whole congregation would join in saying this Latin response. So this is an example of a kind of, um, of, a kind of reform, of an expression of, of desire to participate in a, in a very active and very... Um, evident way in this in the mass um, that, that was going on in the early 20th century right. and so when we see things like the liturgical movement um you know the introduction of the dialogue mass uh, we can understand that the novus ordo um that was uh, that was uh, promulgated by Pius the sixth after the second vatican council in 1969 and then translated in 1970 um that that mass didn't come from nowhere um that it that it actually exists as a kind of continuum as as a part of a reform project um, throughout the 20th century. I mean, another great example of this is um, Pius XII's reforms to Holy Week. Right. So when we think of Holy Week, some of the things that we think about um, are not the way that the Tridentine Church, um, that, that the Tridentine Mass, had been um, observing uh, the, the celebrations of Holy Week. So, for example, uh, the reforms of Pius XII in 1955 moved the the mass of the lord's supper uh, the mass of holy thursday proper to the evening so that there could be a chrism mass in the morning and it was pius the 12th that added the custom of the foot washing at the holy thursday mass so that is not that old um or uh, or the or the movement 
the movement, again, this is kind of time, but it involves a couple important symbols, were moving the Easter Vigil Mass, which had previously been on the morning of Holy Saturday. Um, Pius XII uh, changed the Vigil Mass to take place on Saturday evening um, and added um, the Paschal candle. So there, previously there had been use of a kind of triple candelabra, but Pius XII added the Paschal candle. Now, I mean, for us, that could be almost unthinkable, like Easter Vigil without the Paschal candle. Well, it's actually right. kind of a new thing. Yeah, so, so I to think understand that there's this whole thing going before the Novus Ordo, I think is very important. Yeah, the, I think all of these things need to be seen in, in a sense of continuity and understanding the reality of, of what has been going on in in the church throughout these centuries that leads up to where we are now, because that allows us to have a fuller appreciation of what the liturgy is and what the mass is. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll look at what um, the second Vatican council introduced and then um, what the relationship is between this older, right? The Tridentine, right? And the Novus Ordo, the new right, and how, how we think um, that should be, those rights should be approached and should be lived in our, in our Catholic faith and in our, in our spiritual life. So sit tight and we'll be, uh, we'll be right back. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. Welcome back to God's Planning. Uh, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand. I'm joined here by Father Patrick from our respective parents' basements, uh, visiting our families while we're recording, talking about the liturgy, kind of nerding out on the Mass. So um, that's perfectly and wholly appropriate settings for that. So in the first half, just to, to recap, we were we we gave a sort of brief uh, apology for for why there are different rites, where different rites come from. Historically, we talked very briefly about the Dominican rite and the traditional Latin mass and kind of some of the early 20th century reforms that um, informed or inspired uh, the reforms of the mass and the liturgy that happened at the Second Vatican Council and the and well with the mass really in the late 1960s and the promulgation of the 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 missile in 69 and 70 um so i we want to spend a couple minutes on um on looking at well what did the second vatican council do um with respect to the mass what was introduced by the mass so i think two things uh or i guess probably really one thing is is kind of important at least for our conversations here um and that would be the specifically the the, the document that came out from the second vatican council called sacro sanctum concilium in 1963 and i think it's important to recognize that um Sometimes when we think about the past or sort of tradition or tradition or these kind of things, it's very easy to romanticize or or um, kind of live in a kind of fantasy world that somehow you know what was old is absolutely good. I mean, uh, with without any mistakes or any problems, and that's just simply not true. I mean, there were a ton of issues with the old mass. I mean, the the traditional Latin mass had been. Um, had been in in place for some 400 years, and obviously, you know, people and the world change. It doesn't mean that the liturgy or our faith changes because people change. But as Father Patrick was explaining in the first half, you know, these dialogue masses being introduced, or the monk, Benedictine monks at Solem reverting back to an older form of chant to sort of recapture what was. Um, so I think it's important just to say that, you know, what the Second Vatican Council was trying to do in part was to correct you know, what wasn't kind of working in, in the things that can be adjusted in, in the liturgical form. So I don't know, maybe you can flesh that out a little bit, Father Patrick. Yeah. So, uh, Sacrosacta Quintilium 
this beautiful document, which you should read. It's available free online um, at the Vatican website. Sacrosanctum Concilium gives this reason for the, for the project of reform of the sacred liturgy in the 1960s. So this is from the, the 21st paragraph of that document. It says, in order that the Christian people may more certainly derive an abundance of graces from the sacred liturgy, Holy Mother Church desires to undertake with great care a general restoration of the liturgy itself. For the liturgy is made up of immutable elements divinely instituted and of elements subject to change. Okay, so I think two really important things are being said there. One, it's giving the reason why uh, why the council fathers thought that there should be an updating of the liturgy. And it was for the people of God. This, this is the reason why the Novus Ordo was promulgated, so that so the people could benefit from the richness of divine revelation, which had been handed down to us. Um, and so I think one, one clear thing um, that has been a great benefit um, to me and my experience of the Mass has been to hear the readings of the Mass um, in the vernacular. I know the scriptures well because of the new lectionary, which is very broad and um, which included a, a, a far greater portion of the Bible, uh, of scriptures, and, and allows for um, a certain richness in preaching. I mean, that, that I think was, was truly a great benefit of the Novus Ordo Mass and, and has been a beautiful thing, of the, uh, a beautiful part of the reform. Okay, so that the faithful may derive, derive benefit. That was the first point for the document. The second point was that there are things that can be changed and things that can't which is a really important distinction. So sometimes we can um, become very concerned about things that are not actually that important. And the church allows us to say that there are some things in the mass that can never be changed. Okay, what would those things be? Um, several obvious ones. Mass can only be celebrated by a priest, by a man who has been ordained to do this work in the name of Jesus. Only a priest can be the celebrant of holy mass. Um, or another example we can only use the elements of unleavened bread and of wine at the consecration. These things are divinely instituted. They are not subject to change. But there are other things that are subject to change. We can see, for example, um, the evolution of liturgical music and the kind of choral singing um, which uh, we adopted in the early church, which um, seems to be related to the kind of choral singing um, of the worship of Israel uh, that would have taken place in this in the temple, the kind of singing in the Psalms, you know, we've gone we've gone from that as a church to uh, the Renaissance era polyphony to uh, back to you know medieval plain chant now to modern um, choral hymnody. Uh, uh, there's a huge diversity and evolution in um, liturgical music, and that points to the kind of thing that can change, um, and that can uh, in various ways be more or less. Um, disposing to right worship. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's important too to recognize that um, you know, when when the the new form of the mass came out, there were there were a lot of changes that were imposed on um, people on the church on the lady just because just because it was a sort of allowance but it's also clear that you know sacra sanctum concilium is, is specifies what should be done in the mass even with these sort of changeable things and not just what should be done but even preferences when there are options so like with respect to the music of course that there are different options for music but the church even from the second vatican council still recommends that chant be the for the voice the, and, and specifically gregorian As chant pride be, of play 
place has pride of place in our worship and that gives reasons for that and that the organ if an instrument is used it's the organ that that should be used you know so like it doesn't say it has to be and if it, if some other instrument besides an organ or some other music besides chant is used and the mass is invalid no that's not the case because but the church is very clear that there are ways and in, in their structure and form as we were talking about at the beginning of the episode that that give the right direction and the right orientation of our worship this is the same with you know the direction that the priest is facing the same with the language that is being used whether it's the vernacular english or latin you know all of these things um the church has recommendations and allowances and you know we we don't have time to dive into each one of them perhaps that's that's another episode about these these parts of the mass but it is as father patrick said it's worth reading the document this sacrosanctum concilium look it up online read through it see what the church teaches about the liturgy um because that's you know it is so central to our being catholic to 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 understanding how we worship and why we worship the way that we do. So leading out from the Second Vatican Council, something interesting that the Second Vatican Council did, did is it did not abrogate, it did not cancel out the earlier form of the Mass. The, it, so when the Novus Ordo Missal was published in 69 and translated in 70, um, I think that's correct, I think those dates are correct, um, it didn't say that the old form, the Tridentine form of the Mass was no longer allowed or the Dominican Rite was no longer allowed. Um, and this was something, this was sort of something that was of debate a little bit throughout the church uh, for, you know, 40-ish years. But in 2007, Pope Benedict issued the document Summorum Pontificum, um, which is an interesting title, which we'll talk about in a second. But in that document, he um, gave a sort of reiteration of what already existed, what already was in allowing and explaining, allowing for and explaining why that uh, priests could celebrate the Tridentine Rite. Right, the old forms of the mass, and why the laity also had a right to the old forms of the mass. So I think um, we'll, we'll talk about that for a minute. But by first looking at the, at the title, Sumorum Pontificum, is Latin not for anything liturgical? It, it refers. It doesn't even doesn't even say anything about the mass, but means it translates to the supreme pontiffs the Supreme Pontiffs or the Popes. Um, really interesting that a, a document on the liturgy uh, refers to the Supreme Popes, but I think um, is absolutely spot on, um, I guess, if I can, you know, say that Benedict the Sixteenth is correct. I don't know if I'm really his censor on this, but I see the wisdom in it, right? Because as Father Patrick explained earlier in the episode, the, the liturgy doesn't exist in a vacuum, in fact, or as something just created, but as something that's handed down through the apostolic tradition of the church guarded and promulgated by the popes by the successors of St. Peter. So through this very short document, you can also look this up online, over and again, Benedict, I mean, it takes seven minutes to read, five minutes to read, Benedict refers to all of these popes who have promulgated liturgical reforms in the church. So going back to Gregory the Great, um, going back to Pius V in the, the Council of Trent and John the Twenty-Third, who updated that in the 20th century, and Paul the VI in 1970, and he refers to all of these popes who have, uh, who have handed down the liturgical world in which we live. And ultimately, he says this, that um, the Novus Ordo of 1970 is the ordinary expression of the of the Mass, and the Tridentine Rite of, of 1962, it was updated in 1962, um, is the extraordinary, extraordinary expression of the same Roman Rite. So in the Roman Rite, in the Roman Church, there are two expressions of the same Mass. There's the extraordinary and the ordinary form. Um, so I think that's super important that they, we see those as united, 
as a united as a united front. The document also helps us understand a few other things. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Father Patrick. Um, yes, I mean one of them. Uh, one of them is that uh, Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict wants to see. Um, Pope Benedict wants to see that the faithful can take advantage of the richness of some Samorum Pontificum. So the idea in promulgating a broader use of the traditional mass was not to create some kind of uh, pocket within the church that would be able to rebel against the, the, the greater church as a whole. That was not the idea. The idea was to, the idea was to say, um, wouldn't it be great if priests had a familiarity with the tradition such that they could share it with people uh, who, who were interested in it, um, recognizing that there is such a beauty, that there's such a beauty within our tradition that the, la the lady have a right to actually experience that. I mean, that, that for me is one of, one of the important takeaways. Yeah. And I think for us as religious, as Dominicans who have our own form of a, of a traditional mass or a Latin mass, um, that that for me, uh, what you just were explaining is 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 kind of what inspired me to want to learn to serve as a student brother and then to celebrate as a priest the the Dominican rite, um, because there's so much rich history attached. If you think just for a minute that like the rite, as Father Patrick explained for us, for the Dominican rite was was codified in like the in the twelve sixties, so. From then on, for centuries and centuries and centuries, this was the right that Dominican saints and less than, you know, hopefully saints now, but, you know, those great Dominican saints and those unknown Dominican saints would have celebrated, would have attended, would have prayed at, would have been at, you know, so the likes of like St. Thomas and St. Catherine and um, St. Martin de Porres, St. Rose of Lima, Saint, you know, all of these people would have, blessed Pier Giorgio, you know, if he had gone to a Dominican parish, even, you know, as a third order Dominican would have attended, you know, like all of these people prayed and worshiped God in this form of mass. So to be able as a Dominican to enter into that tradition that is so much bigger than me, that has made so many saints is a beautiful, I think a beautiful opportunity, a beautiful way to celebrate mass as a priest and a beautiful way to pray. Um, and I think that's, that that principle is applicable to all Catholics, that in the same thing with the traditional, the, the traditional Latin mass, the extraordinary form, so many saints have been formed in that context. And so many, you know, great people and, and holy people have been formed by, by that way of the celebration of the mass that um, it would be a shame if we just said, well, that's old and no longer part of who we are, because that's just not true. It is part of who we are. As Father Patrick was showing, it actually has informed the way the Novus Ordo exists. And to say like, that doesn't exist anymore, the old form, well, it, it, it's just not, that's just not real. And it sort of neglects the reality of, of our patrimony, of our history as, as Catholics. Um, so I, that's, that's not to say, and this is kind of the last thing that we're going to talk about on the episode. Um, that's not to say that we should um, that, that the Novus Ordo and the old forms of the Mass need to be relegated to separate pockets of the church where we have like TLM parishes and we have Novus Ordo parishes and the two shall never meet. You know, that's not what we're saying. I think the beauty here, the beauty that Samorum Pontificum shows us, the beauty that the, the sort of liturgical reforms and tradition show us is that there's, there's a fullness and a wholeness that's had with both with both forms of the mass. Um, and I, I know if I've experienced that, I imagine you have two Father Patrick, I know you celebrate the Dominican rite and have an appreciation for it. And I think we, he and I both kind of agree on, on I don't know, on everything that I just said, I think more or less, <laughs> so. I think um, one very rich conversation I had with an older Dominican, um, in the conversation, the friar was asking me very genuinely, well, why, 
why are you interested in this at all? He j- he mm. couldn't conceive of a younger person um, being interested in the old liturgy because for him it was something that his generation had cast off. And um, the only thing, the only value to it that he could see was nostalgia. Um, and as a, as a kind of unrooted millennial looking for looking for stability, um, this is one of the great graces of the Dominican order being, co- being consecrated in the truth and loving the evidences um, for, for the faith and being able to argue them so completely. Um, th- this is one of the things that I, that I saw in our liturgy that, uh, that there was a rootedness to it and that um, the, that the, the number of gestures, the, the form the shape of the words that that all of those demands, which to him felt constrained, felt like constraints, to me felt like structure and meaning, um, and I saw in them, and I see in them in richness. So that that was an interesting moment to 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 articulate um, why I care about this, why it's not um, why it's not just a kind of voyeurism or nostalgia, why there's something very genuine and real to be pursued here, um, and, and to think of. Uh, about the meaning of our tradition and how how important it is that we study it and that we carry it with us so as to not abandon it. Right. And I think it, the an embrace of the tradition, which I would encourage, I think Father Patrick would encourage, an embrace of the tr- tradition does not shirk uh, the, the contemporary form of worship. It's not, again, it's not an either or that I would advocate for, but a, a both and. Um, and I think that we we kind of dive into a greater fullness and a greater richness and a greater breadth of our ability to worship with both the ordinary and extraordinary form as as part of our life, even if it's occasional one way or the other, you know, I'm not saying that there has to be some 50-50 balance in your life, but I would encourage, you know, if you haven't attended a traditional form of the mass, um, I would encourage you to try to see it, you know, find a parish that has it, whether it's Dominican rite or, or you know, the Tridentine rite. Father Patrick, with that in mind, you know, someone who hasn't been before, do you have any a kind of a few tips or a couple tips while we wrap up here for, you know, how to approach it or what to expect or what not to be put off by. Yes. The first Tridentine mass I went to, I felt like I was at a different church. I didn't even know. I, I just didn't know what was going on um, because I was so overwhelmed by everything that I was seeing that um, it was difficult for me to see the mass that I grew up with in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the advice that had been given to me though um, that I found was very helpful um, was just go and just watch it. You don't have to have it all figured out. I mean, most most lay Catholics cannot actually tell you what every gesture means in the ordinary Sunday Mass at their local parish church. Uh, so we we shouldn't expect to be able to do that with a, another even more complex form of the Mass. Um, but the the, the the grandeur of um, the traditional Latin Mass. And much of the grandeur is to be had in simply in simply being surrounded uh, by the symbolism, by allowing all of the ritual that speaks so clearly to the senses to just to just dispose you to interior reflection. That's what it does. That's what it, that's why it's so very powerful. So don't don't get lost in trying to keep track of everything, but just allow yourself to be caught up in God um, to be to be able to pray um, present before it. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much spot on with what I would say too. I think that um, there's with the older forms of the mass, there's a more sort of contemplative reality to it. the The priest does more of the work, as it were, um, and, and but you're 
you're invited to participate in that and to f- sort of follow the priest up to Calvary and up to the, to the sacrifice of the mass. And there's, there's a beauty in that. So you, it's kind of something that has to take you and, and you have to be willing to kind of be taken by it, especially at the beginning, you know, if you're unfamiliar, I had similar experience with Father Patrick, my first couple of times seeing a Dominican, right? I was like, what is going, I have no, what part are they at right now? What is going on? You know, but you get from it, like all things you get used to and you get familiar with it. So um, yeah. So I think, you know, like I've said, like I said, try it out, look it up, read some of these documents, um, kind of take this as perhaps a moment to expand your knowledge of the church and the tradition of the church and why it is that we do what we do as Catholics, um, because it's not arbitrary and it's not just made up or sort of because we want to keep people awake. So we're having them sit and stand, you know, there are, there are beautiful reasons and realities to how we worship. Uh, so with that, I think we'll, we'll kind of We'll leave it there. Um, thanks so much for for tuning into this episode. Thanks so much sir, for supporting the podcast. Um, if you would like to continue to support the podcast, you can always um, become one of our one of our donors through our Patreon account as um, offering a monthly gift. Um, Father Patrick has well now I'm giving it away has cleverly come up with different categories for for levels of donors. You know, so check out our Patreon page um, if you're interested in that. Thanks to those who are already supporting us there financially. Thanks to those. Who who support us through our prayers, um, please, or through your prayers, please uh, like, share the episode, do all of those things, leave a comment, all that helps us out tremendously. Um, So for now, know that we're praying for you, uh, know that we're remembering you at the altar, and uh, until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.